Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. You know what? First thing in the morning, I hate to deliver some shocking news. Most pets in America, dogs and cats, especially cats, are overweight or obese. I'll get to that in a moment. But speaking of cats, I will tell you there's no organization, none like it on the planet, literally no organization existing to solely fund cat health studies, except the Every Cat Health Foundation. Their executive director, Jackie Atjakola, will be right here. He is an old friend, Dr. Ernie Ward, who is the founder and president of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. I'm proud to say I'm part of the board of directors there now, Dr. Ward. You're stuck with me for a few years. <laughs> See, I, I can't think of a better person to be stuck with in the fight against this disease of obesity. Because, Steve, come on, you have spent your entire career helping pet owners be better pet parents, and that means better lives for the pets we love. I don't know. When I came home and told my wife about it, she said, you see, now you've got to go on a diet. But <laughs> it really does matter. I mean, when I talk to veterinarians and I offer your data, which is about, uh, I think, 56% of cats and six, I mean, dogs and 60% of cats are overweight right. or obese. Veterinarians generally, and you probably have the same experience, Dr. Ward, look at me like, hmm? And then I say, okay, what do you guys think? Are the numbers lower? Are the numbers about right? Or are the numbers actually higher? And every conference I've ever been at, most people say, not everyone, but most people say the numbers are probably higher. So we're talking then well over half of our pets being overweight or obese. What does this mean for our pets? Yeah, Steve, and I'm glad you mentioned that. What does it mean? Because a lot of times people think, so what, right? They're fat. They're happy. Be, be done with it. Quit, quit tripping on about this. But what it means is a decreased longevity. We've got several lifetime studies that show a dog or a cat that's kept at a lean, healthy, regular weight, they live two, three years longer than the corresponding overweight or dog with obesity. We also know that diseases like hypertension, high blood pressure, chronic kidney disease. We know that diabetes is at the top of the list of weight-related disorders and many, many forms of cancer. That's just a small sampling of some of the diseases that we're trying to prevent. So when we talk about preventing obesity, Steve, we're actually talking about preventing the suffering of a whole host of other diseases. Well, right. And I I would argue also, I, I agree with you, but two things. First of all, not only lifespan, but quality of life is impacted. And and we're also talking about, for some animals, depression. We now know that our dogs and cats, like us, can suffer from depression, and those animals are very often obese, and there seems to be a connection there. All right, so all of this is true. Here's the question that I know you need seven hours, literally, to answer, but you have about two minutes here. Why are so many of our dogs and cats overweight <laughs> and obese? And yes, Steve, I wish I had a one-word answer, but we don't. We know that obesity in humans and in animals is multifactorial. That means there's a lot of things that cause it. And so sometimes when veterinarians just say, oh, they're feeding too much or they're not exercising their pet enough, that really isn't the correct answer at all. There's genetics that are at play. There are going to be lifestyle diseases that are at play. There's going to be dogs and cats that actually have hormonal imbalances 
There are environmental pollutants and microplastics that all disrupt the endocrine system. So, Steve, it just there's a long list of kind of things that all come together. Now, when we talk about obesity, though, to all the pet parents out there who love their dogs and cats like we do, remember, we're talking about a disease state. We're not talking about a couple extra pounds. We're not talking about a little chunky cat. We're talking about a dog or a cat that is clinically has obesity. And that means that they're storing too much body fat, which then kicks off this cascade of hormones that wind up disrupting everything from, like you mentioned, behavior to heart function, to kidney function, to you name it. Hmm. All, all true. Um, but it's so many pets. And the, the thing that you didn't mention that I find interesting, or maybe you mentioned, and I didn't hear it, we're just simply feeding them either incorrectly sometimes uh, particularly with cats, or we're feeding them too much, or we're feeding them things that we really shouldn't be feeding them in the first place. Right. And Steve, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, the feeding mechanism, how much we feed, what we feed, when we feed, that does play a role. But again, to get into a disease state, it takes a a multitude of factors. So, you know, there are plenty of dogs and cats that are overfed on a daily basis in America that don't develop the disease of obesity, right? They may have an extra few pounds, but they don't actually get into this other state that's so harmful and dangerous and, quite frankly, deadly. So what I what I really want viewers and uh, listeners to, to take home today is go, okay, look, I know that I've got a role to play here. I've got to feed a healthy diet, the appropriate amount, exercise appropriately, and so forth. But I also need to understand that it's much more complicated than just you're feeding too much, you're not exercising enough. And, and Steve, if that were true, then we would have already licked this human obesity problem a long time ago because, you know, we just say, hey, guys, eat a little less and, and exercise more. And people try that. I mean, there are listeners right now, they have tried every diet under the sun, they've tried every kind of exercise program, and yet they still can't lose the weight. And that's where I am you know, with many of my patients, Steve, is the fact that they've got a disease and we've got to treat it as such. Well, you're one of the world's experts on this topic, and for a long time you've been very upfront before people were speaking out about it. It was Now it's politically correct and appropriate to talk about all this. It wasn't when you first began yeah. talking about it, and you've discovered a lot of things, and one thing fascinates me that Dr. Ward, your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother would look at our dogs or cats today and say, oh my gosh, they're so fat. But uh, the pet parent is looking at an animal, and even the veterinarian is looking at that animal saying, that animal is fine. But the perceptions, our perceptions have even changed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And back in my very first book, Chow Hounds, which was out in 2009, 2010, I described this as the fat pet gap. And that is our perceptions of what is a normal size, a dog or cat, has shifted as you really accurately depicted there over the last few decades. And so if we go back to even our just our great-grandmothers, they're going to look at today's Labrador Retriever and go, holy smokes, that's a big laugh. <laughs> and so again, you know, when we shift to the right of that weight curve or that body condition curve, what we're doing is we're saying we're normalizing the overweight or obesity you know, situation. And so I think that as a veterinarian, you know, it's even hard for us sometimes to decipher, you know, is it just a little too much or too little or whatever. So we've really got to, you know, we need better tools. There's some definitely some, some blood biomarkers that we're looking at, you know, very interesting stuff with a leptin, one of the... Uh, a blood marker that you can look at to determine body fat. And there's been a lot of research done into humans on this. We're also looking at different ways to measure body fat in dogs 
uh, with impedance uh, measurements and so forth, measuring little electrical currents. And so, you see, what I'm getting at here is that this is a complex issue, but we've got to take it more seriously because if people just go, oh, just I'll cut out a couple of, you know, doggy bones every day, that'll solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem for the most, most of the dogs that I see. All right. So what will solve the problem and how do we know how big the problem is? Well, you take a survey every couple of years. You haven't done that un- since before the pandemic. And I, I don't know, maybe we're exercising our dogs more, maybe feeding them more appropriately during the pandemic, or maybe it's the reverse. We're going to find all of that out as a result of your survey. You were the first, your organization, the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, to take these surveys. So it wasn't anecdotal. We really had some data. And all of you, pet parents, can participate in this survey of course, it's free, and it's inform- informing veterinary professionals. We'll tell you how you can do that when we come back on WGN. Dr. Ernie Ward is here. He is the founder, the president of the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. It is all about prevention, but how many pets are actually overweight or obese? And that is about the survey that Dr. Ward and the board of directors of this organization Every couple of years say, okay, we want hard data to better understand this. And you look in two places. You look for veterinary professionals and their answers. But you also, Dr. Ward, look for the general public. So if you have a dog or a cat at home or several dogs or several cats, how can people participate in this survey? Yeah, and and also, again, viewers and listeners – Steve has so graciously and generously donated his time to be an executive board member for the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. So, Steve, thank you for all you're doing to help get the message out. But what you can do if you're listening today is you can go to petobesityprevention.org. That's petobesityprevention.org. And just sign up for a clinic survey if you're a veterinary professional or if you're a pet parent, you can click on our little survey for you guys to get your opinions on pet foods and treats and exercise and all those issues surrounding healthy diet and nutrition and weight management. And, and again, your answers help us as veterinarians develop better tools, right? So if you guys come out and say, hey, we like a specific type of dog or cat food more, then we go tell the manufacturers, hey, we need more of that, but we need it with fewer calories, for example. And, and you know, Steve, what's been interesting is that over the last 15 or so years, you know, we started this in 2005, so that's what, 17, 18 years now, uh, we've seen the pet food manufacturers actually respond, right? They're actually doing a better job. We're getting better insights into calorie content. And look, I'll be the first to say we've got a long way to go, but it's nice to see that, you know, they do listen and respond so your answers can help make the next year's pet foods even better. Well, yeah, that's the thing, you know. So pet food manufacturers, of course, they want to sell pet food, but they want to sell pet foods to pets, And the healthier pets are for a longer period of time, the more pets they can sell pet food to. So it's beneficial to everyone. Beside, you know, you you said, and I just said, pet food companies, they are that. But there are human beings that work at these companies who have and care about pets themselves. And they, in my experience, Dr. Ward, 
want to do the right thing as well. But what's the right thing? And their scientists tell them about, okay, this needs to go into the food and this amount and that amount and that amount, and that's great. And they're always trying to understand that better, incidentally. However, what they don't know, they don't know. And because of you and the organization, uh, the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, and the survey we're talking about, they can learn what they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah, and you know, Steve, you and I hear it all the time from pet parents all across the country. They go, you know, gosh, I wish we had better something. And this is one of those rare times when you get to tell us what you'd like. And so your opinion does matter. It does influence. And that's why, again, I appreciate people like you and others, Steve, who are trying to get the message out there because once a year, once every couple of years, you know, hey, here's your chance. Here's your big megaphone. Tell the pet food companies what you want, what you like, what you don't like. And again, you know, I think it just makes the world a little better. I'm not one of those like mega conspiracy theorists. You know, (laughs) I think that honestly, most of the time people kind of want to make the world a little bit better in their own little way. All right. Well, there's a nice way for your pets. What's that website? One more time. Petobesityprevention.org. Thank you, Steve. All right. Easy enough. Thank you, Dr. Ernie Ward. Thank you. Arguably, the Every Cat Health Foundation has done more for cats than tuna. There's no doubt about it, really. If you have a cat, if you've ever known or seen a cat, this organization is one you should care about. And Jackie Achicola is the executive director. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Steve. How are you? Okay. I kind of described, sort of, kind of, what the Every Cat Health Foundation is, but I bet you can do better. Well, we are the only organization in the entire world whose singular focus is on cat health research and education, but we fund cat health research. Yeah, so everything we know pretty much about cats over the past, what, 53, 54 years was once funded by this organization. I think the most recent success story, and that's not even a strong enough way to put it, it's amazing, is feline infectious peritonitis, which forever had been considered fatal, that's FIP, but now it's considered treatable, and it's because of funding coming from the Every Cat Health Foundation. Absolutely. Through um, you know caring donors and people who love cats, we've been able to fund research on FIP for many, many years dating back to, you know, helping discover it, what is it, how do we treat it, and now we're to the point where we really need to still push funding and research so that treatment can be more readily available for cats that are affected by FIP. And it's really so much more than that. I mean, uh, blood pressure in cats was thought to be irrelevant, unimportant. Why would you care about it? And today, because of research funded by Every Cat Health Foundation, We know that it matters for cats. Uh, We had diabetes all wrong, admittedly, but now we don't. (laughs) We understand diabetes in cats far better than we ever did. And that's really important because diabetes, as I've talked about on the show many times, is an epidemic in cats. We need to understand it. And now we do. And uh, there are so many examples. You and I would be here forever rattling off example after example after example. I think I think, Jackie, that's pretty incredible. Well, and and you say it so well when you represent us, Steve, because you you say anything that goes into a cat, making a cat healthy and happy, really, we have had a hand in in helping that move forward. And it is true. So it runs the gamut from uh, nutrition to specific ailments to behavior. So all of these things and, and so much more. So if you love cats, Jackie, what can people do between now 
and the end of the year to help out? When, when you're looking at your greatest wish for your cat or every cat during this holiday season, please consider making a, a life-saving donation because donations to Every Cat Health Foundation do help every cat everywhere, every day. Because research that we fund on cats and cat health helps all cats throughout the world. So the Every Cat Health Foundation, you mentioned also education. So there's a newsletter, I believe, that people can sign up for. I suspect there's social media that people can go to and learn about what's going on in the cat world as well. Absolutely. We encourage everyone who loves cats, wants to learn about cats, wants to be more familiar with their cat. Please, um, you can find out all this information as well on our website at everycat.org. And you can sign up for our e-newsletter on social media. We're on all the channels. Please follow our stories. Share your stories about your cats, your cat health. Ask us questions. We're, we're here for you. But we also want to learn about you and your cat and, and help you become more involved with every cat. Perfect. And more involved to help all cats. Again, the website is everycat.org. Jackie Atchicola, who happens to be the executive director of the Every Cat Health Foundation. Happy holidays to you. (laughs) And to you all as well. Thank you, Steve. You know, we've heard that pet populations skyrocketed during the pandemic. We've heard it. What's true? What's not true? What is the real data here? Well, it turns out two out of every three American homes now have at least one pet. 85 million, or 67% of American homes, include a pet. That's amazing. There are more pets, significantly more pets, than children under the age of 18. And here's the thing. The number of pets, it's not skyrocketing like it did during the pandemic, but it continues to gradually increase. The number of children continues to gradually decrease. What do you think the most popular pet is? Dogs? cats? Neither. Really, it's aquarium fish. 139.3 million. Who counts them? (laughs) How does that work? I don't know. But that's that's what the data is. Americans spend 1 billion with a B annually on just pet insurance alone. Pet ownership has increased 20% since back in 1988. Now, How many dogs, how many cats are there? 63.4 million, or 53% of American households have at least one dog. In other words, most people have a dog. 42.7 million, or 35.7% of households, have at least one cat. That's a lot of cats. And in fact, in a home, the average is 1.7 dogs. If you have a dog, you're more than likely to have more than one. For cats, even more likely. For cats, the number is 2.3 cats per household on average. Now, I know you're wondering, well, that sounds good, but how many people have a pet reptile? Well, 3.8% of households in America have a pet reptile. More popular, 4.8% of households keep at least one pet reptile bird. And the number of households owning guinea pigs or gerbils or hamsters or pet rats or ferrets or chinchillas, that's 4.5% of American homes. 
And these numbers are like crazy. Right now, most pet owners are what? They're millennials, actually. So 35% of all pet parents, that's the proper way to put it, right? Pet parents, not pet owners anymore, because pets are considered members of the family by over 90% of the people who have a pet. They are considered, well, you've heard the terms like fur babies, right? Well, they are considered just that by millennials in particular, but in general, by all pet parents. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.